Well, it's great to be back with y'all today. Uh, this morning, we are kicking off a new uh, summer series in the uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. We're going to start our summer with Galatians, and we're going to end our summer uh, with a series on the book of Colossians. And there's a lot of great, lot of great stuff in these two letters, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about this summer. Uh, so let's begin together uh, by reading from Galatians 1, uh, beginning with verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but that there are some of you who are, confu who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origins. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many uh, people of my same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then after three years I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him fifteen days." But I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, the one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love the book of Galatians. Uh, it's great fun. Uh, as you can see, the first thing I like about Galatians, and you see this from the very beginning, is that Paul is pretty miffed. All right? And Paul is giving it to the Galatians. Now, and it's kind of fun to read in on that sort of thing. When Paul will, uh, later in the, in the gospel in Galatians 3, will say, you foolish, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And then in Galatians 5, he's going to tell them, I wish that the folks who were troubling you over circumcision would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I mean, Paul has given it to them. Um, but what's, what's amazing about Galatians, and you see this, I mean, you see this at the very beginning. Normally at the beginning of Paul's letters, there's an introduction, and then he goes on this long thanksgiving 
about the folks that he's writing to. And that Thanksgiving sort of gives you a, a hint of what else he's going to be talking about. He doesn't do that here. It's Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and all of a sudden he's into his argument. I mean, he just, he just launches into it. And so Galatians is fun to read for that reason, or at least it, I shouldn't say fun. It captures the imagination because Paul is so direct with the people that he's writing to. But what I also love about Galatians is that what he's talking about is just as relevant for us today as it ever was. And what Galatians is really all about in one way or another is Paul's defense of the gospel. This is what the gospel is, is, is what he's trying to tell the Galatians. And if you've heard anything else, you should ignore it. The gospel that I preach to you and the gospel that I'm telling you now is the true gospel. So in some way or another, throughout the rest of our series on Galatians, we're going to be talking about the question of the gospel. What is the gospel? Or that is to say that there is no other gospel than the one that Paul has preached to the Galatians. And in some way or another, we'll be talking about that for the rest of, um, for the, rest of the month or so. Now, I want to issue a challenge to you. Galatians is easy to read. It, it's a pretty short book. And what I'd like y'all to do, and I'd like everyone here to do, uh, at First Methodist to do, over the next um, month or so as we're going through this series, is to take your Bible once a week and sit down and in some way or another read through Galatians. So before you come back here next Sunday, you've read through the six chapters that are in Galatians. And you can do that in the, if you like to cram on your homework and get it all in like at the right at the last minute, you can probably read it in the Sunday morning just before you get here. It's not very long. But what you will find happen as we continue to preach on these excerpts from, from the letter, and as you read it all together, is you're, you'll start to see how everything fits together. Uh, you'll start to see how the appeal that Paul is making to the church in Galatia is still an appeal that speaks to us today. It's still a message that we need to hear. So over the next month, over the next uh, few weeks, try to read the, Paul's letter to the Galatians once a week. And you will find it jam-packed with the, with the central questions um, that we need to talk about, of, about what it means for us to believe in Jesus, about what it means for us to believe in the good news and the gospel of Jesus. And that will come in many different ways, and I can't speak to them all today. We'll talk about over the next uh, month or so, we'll talk about justification by faith. We'll talk about unity in Christ, how Jews and Gentiles have been called together into one community. We'll talk about the new life that we have in Christ and the freedom that we have in Christ. All that is for a different day. But what I'd like for us to focus on this morning is, is two important questions and then what those two questions mean for us. And the first question is this, what is the gospel? And we might think we know, but what does Paul mean by the word gospel? What is the one gospel that he is proclaiming to the church in Galatia that he wants them to understand that this is it? And they, they could admit no substitutions. And then the other question is this, the question of revelation. Paul says that what he has received, he received it straight from God. And, and the first thing that the gospel is is a revelation from God. It's something that God has given to us, that God has, has sort of pulled back the veil and shown to us. What does it mean for us to receive a revelation, a revelation of the gospel? And then what, what do we do with that? What in the world difference does that make for us when we get up and go about our lives this afternoon or, uh, or this week? So that's what we're talking about today. What is the gospel? What does it mean for the gospel to be 
revelation, revelation from God, and then what do we do with that? So first, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? A word about the word itself. The word gospel is an Anglo-Saxon word that we use in, that we have then adopted into modern English. The word gospel is, just means good news. In other languages, uh, they usually draw on the Greek word, which is euangelion, means good news. The kind of good news that uh, a herald or a messenger might announce when he arrived in town. The kind of good news that you might read in the newspaper. The kind of good news, um, it just means good news. Good news. And sometimes we use that, and some of your translations of the Bible may actually translate, translate the word gospel as good news. It's where we get the word evangelical, okay? It comes from euangelion. It just means someone who has good news that they want to share. And I would hope that that would be all of us. We have the good news of Jesus that we want to share with other folks. Now we use that word in a couple of different ways. First, we have these books in the New Testament that we call gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what those books do is tell the story of Jesus's life. And that should be an initial hint to us. One of the things that the gospel is, is the whole story of Jesus. The whole story of Jesus's life and death and resurrection, all that Jesus taught, all of it is the good news. All of that is the gospel. The gospel is, first of all, about Jesus. And the way it gets sort of defined or, or expressed in those um, books that we call gospels, it usually goes something like this. In Matthew 4, 1, uh, Jesus says that, or it says that Jesus is going and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The good news is about the kingdom of God, that God has come to be in our midst. It's about what God is doing. In Mark 1, 1, uh, as it begins the gospel of Mark, uh, it's described as the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What's the good news? In part, at least, it's that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And of course, that headlines all that Jesus is going to do and all that will be told about through the whole gospel of Mark. That whole story of Jesus's life is gospel. It's good news. We also see gospel used in Paul's letters in the New Testament. As Paul begins Romans 1, uh, he says that he is set apart for the good news of God. The good news, this, this whole story, this whole history of what God has done in Jesus. And when I say story there, what I mean is the way that we put together the facts that have happened. It's not, when I say story, I don't mean something that's fictional. What I mean is how we make sense of the facts that have happened. The fact that God has been with us in Jesus, that he has lived among us, he has taught us, he died, he rose again, and he's ascended into heaven. How do we tell all of that at once? And we need a story to tell that. So the good news, the gospel, is that whole story, even in Romans. And now as we come to, uh, now as we come to Galatians, we see Paul doing a little bit of the same thing. From the very beginning of this letter, he's telling, or he's wishing upon the Galatians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, who, and he tells a short version of the gospel story. Who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. And so the gospel is the story of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And so that's what, that's what the gospel is at a first blush. Now this word gospel, it also identifies something else for us. It identifies the posture that we should take toward what we are receiving from God. When you receive good news, 
You wait for it eagerly. You anticipate it. You can't wait for it to come. So it's NCAA baseball regionals right now, and I couldn't watch the game yesterday. I was helping uh, my, my in-laws, the Sparks family, uh, attend to some stuff in Belmont. But of course, I've got to follow the game. And so I'm on, I'm on Twitter waiting for good news, refreshing and refreshing and refreshing, keeping up with, with uh, every strike and every ball and every out, waiting for good news to happen. And of course, I'm doing this, eager, I'm eagerly anticipating it. Um, there's something else I noticed as well was helping them clean up yesterday uh, that helps identify our posture when we hear good news. Uh, Jessica's brother, John, is kind of a sports memorabilia collector, and he has all of these headlines from different great you know, great events, you know, SEC championship, and it's, and it's got, the, got the headline, and it's framed, and he saved that newspaper, okay? Good news is not only something that we look forward to and anticipate, and we can't wait to hear. Good news is also something that we treasure and preserve. We want to look at that again and again and again. So it's something that we want to uh, cherish. So good news the good news, the gospel, the story that we have about Jesus is both something that we should look forward to hearing about and it's something that we should cherish and preserve and lift up. Okay? So good news identifies in a short way not only, not only the content of what we are glorying in, what we have from God, but also our posture toward it. We wait for it eagerly and we cherish it. So we sometimes have these ideas of what the content of the gospel is that are either, well, they can be way off or a little off. First, with the way off. Um, in our culture, sometimes we have this counterfeit gospel uh, that we hear. Um, and it usually goes something like this. God wants you to be happy, and God probably wants you to choose to make good decisions and to be moral. And of course, all that depends on the fact that God exists. There are a couple of sociologists, uh, Christian Smith and Melinda Denton. It's a book called Soul Searching, came back in, in 2005. Did this comprehensive study of American teenagers um, about their religious attitudes and what we, we think of as a, as a Christian country. And they said most of them had this basic attitude. Uh, one, uh, this was like, this is the content of their religious beliefs. One, God exists, uh, a God exists who created us and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Not wrong, okay. Uh, two, that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and, and most world religions. Three, that the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. Four, that God doesn't need to be particularly involved in your life except for when you have uh, big decisions to make or a problem to resolve. And five, that good people will go to heaven when they die. For the average American teenager, that is their basic religious attitude. And the sociologists described that as uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic we should do good things. Therapeutic, God wants us to be happy and, and deism, God exists. And for many people in our culture, not just teenagers, that's their basic religious attitude. God wants us to be happy, God wants us to be good, and God will do nice things for us. That is a counterfeit gospel. It's not the gospel that Paul is telling the Ephesians about. It's not the gospel that requires Jesus to die on our behalf. It's not the gospel that calls us into a radical new way of living. And so we too hear sometimes these counterfeit gospels. 
And that's one of them that is, that is prevalent in our culture. But even we who are Christians um, and who are following Jesus may sometimes have some mistaken ideas about what exactly we mean by the word gospel. And we, we tend to reduce it to like one or two theological points, and we miss the big picture. Sometimes when I say gospel, what people will hear uh, is justification by faith. If we believe in Jesus, then we can be saved. We're not saved by our works, we're saved by our beliefs. Now that is absolutely true. And that is a, a truth that is an implication of the gospel, but that truth depends on the gospel message itself, which is something a little different. The message that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus has come to be with us and has died for us and has risen again. The whole story of Jesus as the gospel. Now, justification by faith, we'll talk about that in a few weeks. It's an important thing that we should believe. It goes hand in hand with the gospel, but sometimes that can leave out the fact that we need to grasp the story of Jesus himself. Uh, For some of us, when we think of the gospel, we think simply of, uh, along with justification by faith, of something like going to heaven when we die, or salvation. Now, I want you to hear me. I absolutely believe in salvation. I absolutely believe that we need to be saved by God, and that we are saved by God by believing in Him. And I believe that God has eternal life for those of us who do believe in Him. That itself, though, is an implication of the gospel. It's something that we get in response to the gospel. It is not the gospel itself as Paul talks about it. Okay? I want you to hear me. I believe in all of that, but that's not what the word gospel itself means. What does the word gospel mean? I've already hinted at it a little bit, uh, but it's important for us to get our minds around this. The gospel itself, if you want just a short version of it, the gospel itself is the proclamation that Jesus is Lord. And because Jesus is Lord, we can experience eternal life with him and be saved. Because Jesus is Lord, we can be justified by our faith in him and not by our works. But the gospel itself is the proclamation that Jesus is Lord. Or if you want to put it a little longer, that God has come to be with us in Jesus, who has fulfilled all of God's promises to us in creation, who has fulfilled all of God's promises to the people of Israel, and whose life, death, resurrection and ascension enable us to be reconciled to God, enable us to be made right with God. That's the content of the gospel itself. The gospel itself is the good news about who Jesus is. And because of who Jesus is, then we can have faith. Because of who Jesus is, then we can have salvation. It's important for us to get our minds around that because if we start to put the emphasis on what we have done rather than on what Jesus has done, we start to lose the picture, and we start to lose the gospel itself. And that's precisely what, that's precisely what Paul is angry about with the Galatians. What has happened is, after he has come in and renounced the good news and proclaimed the good news that Jesus is Lord and they have believed it, someone else has come in behind him. And it started to say, look, if you really want to be a Christian, if you really want to be a Christian, um, it's not just about Jesus and what Jesus has done. There are certain things that you need to do, and one of those things is that males, you need to be circumcised so you can be a part of the people of Israel. You have to be a proper Jew in order to be a Christian. And so they have substituted the good news that Jesus is Lord, Lord over all creation, Jews and Gentiles, and they started to say basically that, well, you need to become a Jew to be a Christian, which means that really God's the God of the Jews only. And Paul will go on to say, 
haven't you heard what I told you? That God isn't the God of the Jews only, but is God of the Gentiles also. That God is all and over all because of what we've seen in Christ. And so what others have come in and done is they've substituted things that we do, an emphasis on us, rather than an emphasis on Jesus. And if we focus on what we do and on ourselves and we sort of gaze at our, oh, I shouldn't make that move because it hurts my back, but if we gaze at our navels, then all we're going to ever get is, well, really, we're going to lose ourselves because we can never believe enough. We can never do enough. We ourselves will never be enough. But if we hear the good news that Jesus is enough for us, if we look to Christ rather than ourselves, then we will gain Christ who will then give our own lives back to us. I hope y'all see the distinction I'm trying to make. If any of this is confusing, uh, call me or email me or, or talk to me afterwards if I haven't already scooted off to Sunday school. I know this is maybe putting it a different way than you might have heard before. I, I mean, there's nothing I want to do more with my week than talk to people about Jesus, right? So if I get a call that says, hey, I want to talk to you about this thing that you said in your sermon, that would make my whole week, okay? Um, important for us to understand, the gospel is about what God has done in Jesus Christ. God has brought the story of Israel, the promise to Israel, that he would rescue the whole world to completion. When God called Abraham, he told him that he would make a great people out of him, and that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. And one of the ways that God secured that sign with Abraham is through the promise of circumcision, and that's why it was a requirement for all Jewish males to be circumcised. It was a sign of their particular relationship with God. And so those who came in after Paul said, well, you need that. You need that sign. But what Paul is reminding the church in Galatia is that the promise that God made to Abraham is that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Not just the nation of Israel, but all the nations. And so no longer is that sign needed for the Gentiles who are now believing in God. God has made Israel a great nation. And the crowning achievement of Israel is that Jesus has come. That the Messiah has come. That the one promised Israel finally arrived. And it was God in the flesh right there among them. And so that was the crowning, that was the great nation that had always been promised to Abraham. It was Jesus himself. And now because of Jesus himself, because God has made a great nation out of the people of Abraham, out of Israel that he called all of us from every nation, from all over the world, from a time that's 2,000 years removed and thousands and thousands of miles away removed from people who had no contact and no relationship with the people of Israel have now come to be a part of the kingdom of God because of the work that God has done in Jesus. That is the good news Jesus. So that's the gospel, or part of what the gospel is. There's more to say in future weeks. The other thing that we have to understand is that we receive this by revelation. This is not something that we, uh, that we studied up and figured out. Paul's very clear about this. He says that he, he was as an accomplished student of Judaism as anyone else in his, in his time, among all his contemporaries. And he had studied he had worked. I mean, if anybody could have figured it out, Paul would have figured it out. But he didn't figure it out. It wasn't that it was taught to him or that he 
derived it from all his lessons, is that God spoke to him directly in Christ. That God himself revealed it to him. And Paul didn't go and he didn't learn it from Peter and the other disciples at first. He went off into the desert, into Arabia, where God himself taught Paul the gospel that he now delivers. It's important for us to understand that aspect of what revelation is. That it comes from God himself. Because if the gospel, if revelation going with it, is something that we can figure out, then it's not something that is a gift from God. But the gospel has to be this good news. It's a gift that's given to us. It's not something we figured out on our own. It's something that God has done for us. And we see this with Paul. Paul didn't figure out this revelation. He didn't figure out the revelation of the gospel. He was given it by God. He who was very unworthy to do it. He who was someone who had been persecuting the church and assisting and killing Christians. He's the one that God gave this revelation to change his life. So revelation shows us that the gospel is a gift. It's something that God has given to us, not something that we have attained for ourselves. It's also something that is incarnational, all right, to use a theological term, that the revelation that we have uh, looks like the God that we know in Jesus. How does God relate to us in Jesus? God comes and lives among us. God cares about the physical stuff of our world. We know that because God took on human flesh. And so the way that the revelation comes to us is not necessarily just, we don't all have Paul's experience, but God sends people like Paul um, because God uses human beings and human communities and human bodies to carry on this revelation. Paul writes this letter from the very beginning of the gospel. He says, Paul, an apostle sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the members of God's family who are with me. So Paul isn't sent by human beings. He's sent by God. But God sends Paul a human being with the whole community that he represents. So God still speaks to us through this community that we have. God still speaks to us through the message of Paul that we now have in Scripture. And not just the message of Paul, but the message of all those who provided us our scriptures through the Holy Spirit. And so revelation comes to us um, not only as a gift, as a direct revelation to someone like Paul, but it also comes to us through the community and comes to us through physical stuff like this Bible that I hold in my hands. That God uses the world that he made to give us revelation. So the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus is Lord. And all that comes with that, that whole story of Jesus and our response to it. And the gospel is, among other things, a revelation. It's a gift from God, and it's a gift of God that works in our community and through the human messengers that God has sent. What do we do with that? What difference does that make when you get up and go to work on Monday. One thing you should know when you get up in the morning and you wake the sleep out of your eyes and stretch um, is that this good news that you have is a gift from God. There's nothing you can do that day, no amount of moral behavior, even though, of course, you should engage in moral behavior. No amount of good work, so, of course, we should do things for other people. There's nothing that we can do to add to what God has already done for us in Christ. 
The good news is that God has done it all for us and that we can then receive it. There's no amount of money that you can earn. There's no academic achievement that you can, can get to. Students, um, there is, uh, there's no amount of career success that can add to what God has already given you in Jesus. There's no amount of material possessions. There's no car. There's no house. There's no anything else that can add to what God would give you in Jesus. And in our world where we think that God simply wants us, some, some of us think that God just wants us to be happy uh, and wants to give us nice things. We need to be reminded that none of that, none of that can add to the good news that God has come to be with us and has reconciled our very lives to him in Jesus Christ. And so when you go and you wake up on Monday morning and you have that good news, you know that God is with you. You know that God has given himself for you. And that should make all the difference in the world in the way um, that you live. It should give you every reason for confidence. And doesn't Paul seem confident as he writes to the Galatians? He knows who God is. He knows the message of the good news. And nothing can shake that foundation. We can have the same thing. We can have the same thing. And lastly, that story that we have, that revelation that we have, is something to be shared. Paul, this recipient of the good news, isn't going to let it all slide by. He isn't going to let the Galatians go on thinking whatever, you know, fine, Galatians, do your own thing over there. He has the story that has to be told. And he's not content unless everyone can hear the story of the good news of Christ. And we, too, have that message. When we wake up on Monday morning, we go about our lives after we leave here, we go forth with that message. God has revealed himself to us and given us the good news and the story of Christ, what Christ has done for us. And when we come to the communion table, we remember that story. And a few moments as we pray, we're going to remember the story of what Jesus has done. It's that prayer that we call the Great Thanksgiving. And you'll hear us tell that story again, that true story of what God has done for us in Christ. The gospel, the good news, that's what we hear, that's what we celebrate when we experience, when we experience um, communion. And the other thing that we will here is revel and experience is revelation itself that God just like he offered himself and revealed himself to Paul God reveals himself to us as we come and we eat and we drink together that God is present and God appears to us in the bread and in the wine and so the good news and revelation that Paul knew and Paul experienced is here for us today this morning in this moment and so brothers and sisters I invite you uh, to pray with me as we celebrate this meal that Christ has given us.